Pittsburgh's point guard and Blazer beat writer Mike Richmond. You're listening to another episode of Locked on Blazers, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. Today's show is also another edition of Mailbag Monday, answering listener-submitted questions all episode long. We do this each week here on Locked on Blazers. Like the rest of our shows, it's divided into three parts, except this time all three parts are the same. We answer listener questions all episode long. If you want to get involved, here's how you do it. You just tweet at me, at Mike G. Rich on Twitter, Mike G. Rich. You can just tweet at me whenever you're thinking of a question. I will see it and put it in my little Word doc. Or you can wait for Monday morning when I send out a tweet soliciting questions around 9 a.m. Pacific time. Or if you're not a Twitter user, you can still get involved. You can still send in a question. Just email me, lockedonblazerspod at gmail.com. Send that email to lockedonblazerspod at gmail.com. I'll see it. I'll get you in the show. We got a bunch of questions this week. No more horsing around. Let's get it rolling. This first question comes from Don Weston at Mystery Novel One on Twitter, who asks, any chance the Blazers will pick up the D in the playoffs? They looked better in the play-in game and have shown they can close. Their switching errors are ridiculous. The switching errors are pretty pretty noticeable. Uh, I think it's, you're totally okay when you watch this team to criticize Terry Stotts' defensive schemes, but some of it is the guys communicating poorly out there, whether they want to switch here or don't want to switch there. It's my understanding that the Blazers have hard and fast rules with certain pick and roll partners. We always switch this. We don't switch this. But the rest of the perimeter switching is up to the guys out there. They have some freedom to some a little bit of leeway to make the decisions. And the you can just see this team out there, particularly with Carmelo Anthony. Some of the switches, particularly off the ball, are just a nightmare and they just leave the Blazers exposed. But the short answer to your question is that no, Don, the Blazers are not going to pick up the D. Their hope is that they can stay close and make a couple plays on defense at the end of the game like they've done the last couple nights. But you're not alone asking about the defense. In fact, that's what everyone's wondering about as we head into this game one against the Lakers. Adam from Gmail asks, looks like Gary Trent Jr. will be a key LeBron defender. Yikes. Regarding the Blazers-Lakers playoff matchup, am I the only one who sees this just like Brian Grant trying to guard Shaq? Adam, I love that comparison. Brian Grant, a tough defender, a smart defender, and just way too small to guard Shaq. It's kind of how I feel about this Blazers team. They are going to play hard. They'll probably play smart occasionally. They'll do a lot of stupid stuff on defense. It's kind of who they are. But a lot of times, I think this series might just come down to bad matchups. Brian Grant couldn't guard Shaq. He could, he could try, but he couldn't guard him. And I kind of feel the same way about the Blazers trying to guard the Lakers' two stars. But there's more questions about the defense. Spencer Gordon at Spencer's Dead One on Twitter asks, I know we suck at D overall, and White and Hassan Whiteside's frustrating, but is Nurk is the Nurk and Hassan combo with Dame, CJ, and Gary Trent Jr. and Mello, that's six players, our best shot at trying to hold AD in check and give us enough offense against LA. What's the best defensive focus lineup that can score? Well, I think the six guys plan is not bad. Maybe I misread your question and you meant like one of those two centers plus the other four. So let's let's just say that. I'll make fun of I'll I'll, I'll hold back and make fun of you anymore, Spencer. So yeah, I think um that Nurk is a way better defender than Hassan Whiteside. Uh, Whiteside just he's really slow in the pick and roll. And if you the LeBron James will hunt him if he can. Uh, Hassan has his moments where he plays well, but I think he's dealing with a leg injury. Like, I think he's still dealing with that left leg injury. He just looks slow. He's already slow and he looks slower out there. So your best, I think the best combo for trying to guard them and score is 
Well, I would have said that it was Dame, CJ, Gary, Zach Collins, and Nurk, but Zach Collins is going to miss game one. He could be out longer than that. It's unclear, but he's definitely ruled out for game one, which means who plays power forward gets really tricky. If you have, if you sub Mello in there for Zach Collins, the question is sort of who does he guard? Um, he can kind of guard LeBron James. I guess that's okay, but not ideal. LeBron is going to just blow past him. Um, I think that's a better choice than having him guard Anthony Davis. But if uh, LeBron's at the three, then you can't slide Gary Trent Jr. to guard up um, AD. So then maybe you move Melo over to the center, JaVale McGee, but they're just going to put him in pick and rolls and throw lobs. It's really messy. They just, they don't match up well and losing Zach Collins makes it even, even tougher. So the answer to your like defensive focus lineup question is I don't think they have one. I think you just play your five best guys. You try to steal some minutes with Wenyan Gabriel. I think the five best guys to be clear is Dame, CJ, Gary, Mello, Nurk. Steal some minutes with Wenyan Gabriel. Find some minutes where both Hassan and Nurk are on the floor together and just hope it works out. You're going to have to score a bunch of points. Next question comes from Rudy Tybersky, who asks, how do the Blazers slow down the Los Angeles Lakers three, at the three-point line? And do they have a shot if they do? And what is the best light, way to utilize Wenyan Gabriel as a makeshift starter? So I've been thinking about this a lot. I think what you do with Wenyan Gabriel as a makeshift starter is you put him on Anthony Davis. You let Carmelo Anthony guard LeBron. Oh my gosh, that's a, just a tough one. And you let Wenyan Gabriel guard Anthony Davis. Is that is that a real solution I just offered for a playoff series? It is indeed. Uh, so I think that's that's what you do with Wenyan in, in that starting group. Uh, how you slow down the Lakers at the three-point line is just hope they miss. Uh, you got to send double. You probably have to send double teams to Anthony Davis. He's not as good a passer as LeBron. You have to be selective when you double team LeBron. He's going to work in the post. I bet a lot in this series, or at least some. You got to be selective because he's a really good passer out of it. Lakers don't have a ton of three-point shooting. That's their weakness. So in, in some ways, you got to hope that you can double team and recover to guys, and that Caruso and Kentavious Caldwell Pope don't beat you. That's the Blazers' shot. Is that if the Lakers if the Lakers are trading twos for threes and the Blazers are hitting their threes. That's how you win. Next question comes from Rip City All Day. Shigale Breezy on, at Shigale Breezy on Twitter who asks, I've heard a lot of talk about the Blazers not having anyone to guard LeBron slash AD, but do you think Gary Trent Jr., Mello, or Zach can make it a little difficult for LeBron? And as it relates to AD, do you think Nurk Hassan or even Zach could slow him down? Here's the thing. I think Zach is your best defender against Anthony Davis. Nurk struggled against him a bunch against in that Pelican series. Obviously that was that was two years ago. Um it's it's in some ways ancient history, but it is like a real thing you can point to. I, I think AD is just a little too quick for Nurk, and I think that could be a problem. Hassan seems like a really bad option, although his his length will make him an option. He will guard Anthony Davis some just because he is a big person. Zach is your best bet there. Um but he's hurt. I mean he's he looked I mentioned on this podcast last week that every time he left the game, he was riding the bike, which is not the indicator of someone who is healthy. And then he left the game with a left ankle sprain, left ankle inflammation, and he's not going to play in game one. He is not someone who's healthy, and he didn't look like it. On LeBron, uh, I think Gary Trent Jr. is okay. I worry about a little bit of his strength. I think Melo is okay. I worry about a little bit of his speed. Uh, I don't think the Blazers have a good person to guard LeBron James, but both of those guys, Gary Trent Jr., Melo, and Wenyan Gabriel a little bit, We'll give LeBron, we'll guard LeBron a little bit. Wenyon will guard AD a little bit. Do I think the Blazers can slow those two dudes down? I do not. I do not. 
at all, even like a small amount. But they have proved me wrong many times. They may do it again. Next question comes from Jonathan at JSAS on Twitter who asks, the Kobe Memorial game, this is the game at Staples Center right after Kobe Bryant passed, had a component these playoffs won't, but it seems like an indicator of what the Blazers could do against an L.A. team trying to win. That game was without Yusuf Nurkic, Zach Collins, and Carmelo Anthony. Does it showcase Dame's ability to pull off this upset, or was it just one game? Isn't it both, Jonathan? It showcases Dame's ability to pull off a single-game upset. He is Allen freaking Iverson. He is capable of just winning a game on his own as a singular small guard talent. That's how good Damian Lillard is. He is a Hall of Fame-level player playing at the peak of his his powers he's capable of beating the lakers once all by himself is he capable of beating them four times all by himself no the nba playoffs rewards the better team you can't fake the funk talent almost always wins out and i don't think the blazers have near enough talent i think they might have enough talent to make this one fun but i don't think that game in february where i've called it maybe the best performance of dame had all season one of the best performances i remember having in his career like just individual games, you know, 48 in Staples. He was awesome and won that game by himself, basically. Son Whiteside did ice the game with a mid-ranger, but Dame did a lot of the heavy lifting prior to that one. So I just think, I I mean, no, the answer is no. I don't think the, I don't think, I think Dame is really fun and we should appreciate him, but he ain't, he's not going to swing this series all on his own. He certainly will give the Blazers a puncher's chance because he is not afraid to throw the haymaker. All right, let's come back in the second segment, answer more of your questions. But before we do that, I want to tell y'all about DoorDash. You know DoorDash? It's the app that brings you food. Whatever you're craving right now, DoorDash will bring it to your door. Ordering is easy on DoorDash. Just open the app, choose what you want to eat, and the food will be left safely outside your door with the new contactless delivery drop-off. With over 300,000 partners in the U.S., Puerto Rico, Canada, and Australia, you can support your local go-tos or your big national chains. And right now, my listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter the code LOCKEDONMBA. That's $5 off your order and zero delivery fees when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter the code LOCKEDONMBA. Don't forget, LOCKEDONMBA, $5 off. Your first order from DoorDash. Check them out. All right. Let's keep it rolling here with Mailbag Monday. Our next question comes from Dr. Jeff from Gmail who asks, the biggest weapon in the Blazers' offense is the pick and roll to free up Dame or let Nurk be the playmaker. However, I think that one of the main reasons they do this is that it helps free up Dame from a pesky wing defender and put the big in the pick and roll, who is not as agile. See Chris Stapps for Zingas. However, the Lakers seem to be the inverse. None of their wing defenders who guard Dame should scare us, and AD, that's Anthony Davis, is downright nightmare. So I wonder if the Blazers put Nurk in the post and trust Dame to break down his man off the dribble with no screen, or do we constantly play two bigs and let whomever AD is not guarding be the screen man? Here's the problem with the two bigs thing. If you take AD out of the pick and roll, he becomes the roamer, the freelancer, the the Draymond Green who has been that second layer of defense who's just blown up the Blazers for years. And I don't think you want to put Davis in that position. I think he's too good. You don't want you want him guarding someone he has to respect. But I do think the first thing you said might be true. Maybe you just spread the floor a little bit and let Dame say, I can get past Alex Caruso. I can get past Contavious Caldwell Pope. I can get past Rajon Rondo. I don't need a screen. I don't need it. 
So maybe they'll run a, a bunch of um, maybe like dribble handoff stuff on the wing and then try to get Dame on the weak side. Um, they're still going to run a ton of pick and roll. It's to get Nurk involved adds, you know, brings the double team. There's value in, in, in bringing a double team towards Dane. We'll talk about that in a second. And Nurk as a playmaker against a defense, you know, an, a man advantage defense is really valuable. They're going to run the pick and roll. But Jeff, I do think that's a really good idea. I think a little bit less pick and roll and just straight up Dane go get him is going to be valuable. Also, Christian James McCollum, go get him. That's, that is really where the Blazers are going to have an advantage on offense is, is their guards going one-on-one. Speaking of that, this next question is from Jess Bielman at what I'm guessing is Rev Dr. Beals on Twitter. And the Reverend Doctor, the Dr. Reverend Jesse asks, players talk about improving their game from year to year. Does it seem to you that Dame was vulnerable to traps in the infamous Pelican series, but has evolved by moving his three-point shot further out and getting the ball to teammates in the right places? 10,000% Jess. Before the uh, year got shut down back in March, I was actually working on a story about exactly this. I was going to write about how Dame had evolved to not just being better at handling traps, but in some cases against lesser teams, kind of welcoming traps. Say, y'all come this way. I'll bring two defenders towards me. Go ahead. Right over here. Great, great, great. And then just perfectly getting a pass to whoever, wherever the help had come from. I thought he had really, really improved as a manipulator. But... Here's the thing. When you don't write a story, someone else writes it. And Chris Haynes wrote a story on Yahoo Sports this week about how Dame basically saw that exact thing. He got totally taken out of his game by the traps in the Pelican series and said, cool, I'm going to start shooting from 30 feet away. I need to have a real weapon so I don't have to get deep into the offense and deep into the clogged paint or, or even just get close to where defenders naturally can help from. I need to I need to make the floor bigger and make them have to guard more space. And he specifically started to shoot deeper threes then, and now he's the best deep three shooter in the history of the NBA. Here's some incredible deep three-point shooting stats from Dame real quick before we move on. Damian Lode was 54 of 130, that's 41.5% from shots from at least 30 feet this season. As a whole, NBA shooters converted 22.9%. From, three, from 30 feet this season, that's wild. And that number also includes Damian Lillard's 42% shooting. That's from Kirk Goldsberry of ESPN. Kirk goes on to note that coming into the season, the record for most shots made from at least 30 feet was 25, and Dame made 54 of them this season. He saw the traps, he expanded his game, and now he's the greatest deep three-point shooter the league has ever seen. All right, next question comes from James from Beaverton, who says, if the NBA said the Blazers would be allowed to bring in Trevor Ariza for the first round, but if they did, the Lakers would be allowed to bring in Avery Bradley, would you take that deal for him? I think the Blazers are so woeful on defense that any additional help on the end would make it worth it. What would you do? I'm, I am snatching that up. Um, what Avery Bradley brings to the Lakers is valuable, but what Trevor Ariza brings to the uh, Blazers is more valuable and just something they specifically do not have. So if if, if the trade-off was available and those two gentlemen who are spending time with their families wanted to join the bubble, I'm snatching up that deal. Go ahead and bring Ariza in for that trade. That's, that's way worth it. Next question comes from Anonymous Cyclops who asks, After watching the post-NERC Blazers in the bubble, I can't help thinking that the Blazers could have been a 48-plus win team if not for injuries. Do you agree? Yeah, sure. 48 wins, right, right around there. The anonymous Cyclops continues. If that happened, what do you think that Dame do you think that Dame would have been in the MVP consideration? Yeah, um, definitely. But he's not 
look, Giannis Antetokounmpo had a historically good year. Dame would have been maybe like third if the Blazers were a 50-win team or a 48-plus 40, win team, but he's, he's not winning. He's not, he's not doing what Giannis did. And that's not a knock on Dame. I think he's the best player at his position in the league right now, but Giannis is the, is a, had an all-time great season. Anonymous Cyclops continues. This is a from Gmail. You can get a lot of words in. If every Blazer comes back next year healthy, do you think this team consisting of Dame, CJ, Rodney Hood, Zach Collins, Yusuf Nurkic, starting and Carmelo Anthony, Trevor Ariza, Gary Trent Jr., Anthony Simons, and some competent backup center could be a legit dark horse contender? Yes, but I think that specific roster's absolute ceiling is dark horse contender unless Zach Collins takes a massive leap next season. I think what you've built right there is a really, really good middle of the pack team that have a fighting chance to make the Western Conference Finals, but not a team that has a serious slice of championship pie. Not a lot of championship equity unless you're getting big old, big old leaps from Zach Collins and Anthony Simons. Next question from Jonathan at JSAS on Twitter who asks, could the Blazers make up the gap in talent against the Lakers by making more free throws? The Blazers have been averaging 90% of late at the line while the Lakers always seem to struggle there. Yeah, that's definitely one way to do it, but no, you can't. How could, how can you watch, how can you know about the Lakers and think that LeBron James is not going to get to the foul line a kajillion times and make up for shooting 71% there by getting more trips? In theory, the Blazers win this game at the lines, right? They win it because they get fouled and get easy points at the free throw line and they make a ton of threes, but they're not going to win this game alone at the free throw line. They win the series by, they win this series like an NCAA tournament upset. They make a ton of three pointers for, six or seven games and that's how they do it next question comes from logan gillis at logan gillis on twitter who asks how much will the back injury slow cj i would like to answer this with a question if you didn't know cj mccollum was injured would he appear injured to you the last two games and the answer to that is no the reason you know about his injury is because he had a stinker game against Dallas. He went two for 14 from the floor and someone leaked. The reason CJ looks so bad is because he's hurt. CJ didn't say shit. Someone else decided to make an excuse on his behalf. He followed that up with two really nice games, a 25 point game and then a, a just absolutely clutch performance against Memphis Grizzlies where he looked like himself. The back injury will slow him, but if we didn't know he was hurt, he doesn't appear obviously injured. So it'll slow him a little bit and it'll be incalculable by us. Next question comes from Charles Petitjean, maybe Petitjean, Charles Petitjean on Twitter, who says, Dame over under 37.6 points per game, his bubble average versus the Lakers in this series. I'm going to say under 37.6 is so many points. I think Dame averages north of 30, but 37, more than 37 is a lot. I'm not going there. I'll say 33 and some change. Next question comes from Jason Reyes at Jason underscore Reyes underscore on Twitter who asks, with a difficult task at hand trying to upset the Lakers, what do the Blazers have to lose if they don't succeed in doing so? I mean, literally nothing. Jason's question continues, however, saying, I feel like we've entered the last couple of seasons with higher expectations heading into the postseason, but this year it feels like bonus basketball. Yeah, I think that's probably true that this year just making the playoffs feels like an accomplishment. But here's my read on that. That's okay energy to have. And if you feel that way, I'm not saying you shouldn't. Like this season, in a lot of ways, what they did in the bubble is a great reward because it reminded you of how good they are. But Damian Lillard just turned 30. Um, Thinking like it's cool that they made the eighth seed. 
is not as fun a way to remember and appreciate his career. Last year, I don't think the expectations were that high heading into the playoffs. I think it's like, you know, this is a really good team, but they might get upset in the first round and they didn't. And it's like, oh, well, they might get upset in the second round or might lose in the second round to the higher seed. Then they didn't. And then it was like they made the Western Conference final. And maybe in retrospect, you think like, yeah, this was a really freaking good team. Of course they made it. But I don't, I think the expectations weren't this high um, last year. So I would push back against that. In any case, if you feel like the Blazers have given you their reward by playing well in Disney World, who am I to tell you that it's not good enough? It's perfectly great. It's wonderful even. Okay, next question comes from Adam Nakamura. Adam Naka28 on Twitter who asks, is Kyle Kuzma the second worst one-on-one matchup for the Blazers behind Anthony Davis? Hold on, dog, what? Is Kyle Kuzma the second worst one-on-one matchup? For the Blazers behind Anthony Davis. You know what I gotta do to you. The Lakers have LeBron James, Adam. Did you forget about LeBron James? <laughs> okay, let's let's take a break. Let's let's come back in the third segment, answer more of your questions. Let's all promise not to forget about LeBron James. In fact, let's all remember LeBron James and let's all remember rockauto.com because it's the family business that's been serving auto part customers online for 20 years. And you can go to rockauto.com right now to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They got everything you need. Engine control modules, brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, even new carpet. Whether it's for your classic or your daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. The rockauto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. You can quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle, choose the brands, specifications, and prices you prefer. Best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low, and they're the same for professionals as the do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? Don't do that. Instead, go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck and write in Locked On in their How Did You Hear About Us box. That way they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. Still a pass first point guard. Still Mike Richmond. You're still listening to Locked on Blazers, and we're still rolling through Mailbag Monday. This next question comes from Matthew at Revan Romulus, who asks, Sounds like Wenyan Gabriel may start on Tuesday. That's the word, Wenyan Gabriel indeed starting on Tuesday. Matthew continues, So who averages more minutes this series, Wenyan Gabriel or Mario Hazonia? Who averages more threes, Wenyan Gabriel or Hassan Whiteside? And who... And finally, who is the fan favorite folk hero next year, Wenyan or future Blazer Patrick Williams? Rev, you made me Google who Patrick Williams is. Turns out he's a 6'7 forward from Florida State and one of the youngest dudes in the draft next year. Uh, I'm going to say we'll take these in reverse order. Wenyan Gabriel more likely to be the folk hero next year, although very unlikely from where I'm sitting that either Wenyan or Patrick Williams are on the roster next year. But hey, you never know. More threes, Wenyan Gabriel, because he's going to stand closer to the three-point line than Hassan Whiteside. Um, And he only needs to make one to average more than Hassan. And who averaged more minutes, Wenyan or Mario? I'm going to go Wenyan. I'm going to go Wenyan. It's going to be, I, it could be close, um, but I think it seems like Wenyan is going to get the like Victor Claver memorial first six minutes of each half. 
and that would be 12 minutes a game, and I don't see Mario Hazonia playing 12 minutes a game. Next question comes from Christian from Gmail, who asks, All the seeding games were wild for different reasons, but which was the most wild? Top three. Most wild was the Brooklyn game. Second most wild was the Boston Celtics loss because the Blazers were getting their ass whooped and then Dame just put the cape on and said, no, 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 no. And then it ended with that really bizarre um, Dame's decision to pass for a two when they absolutely needed a three. Like that was wild. That had a, that was a lot going on there. And then I would say third most wild was the clincher against Memphis because it kind of looked like, man, they're not going to do it. They're not going to do it. And then all of a sudden they were doing it and they had, and it just, it was kind of the culmination of, do they really, do we really see them do this nine consecutive times where every game came down to the final possession essentially, or at least the final three minutes and then the Blazers delivered I didn't get a question about this and the way that the scheduling worked, we did a playoff preview, so I didn't get to mention this, but I'm just going to shoehorn this in here for no reason. Nobody asked, but, um, Yusuf Nurkic's grandmother passed away this weekend and he got the news while on the bus to the arena. Um, really, really heavy stuff. And my heart goes out to Nurk because that's incredibly difficult to deal with knowing that he couldn't be there. Um, you know, even if he chose to, it's probably difficult to fly, leave the country and then come back and all, all these things, a lot of, a lot of logistical problems, a lot of just, um, with the way the world is now, but really, really heavy. And I, and my heart goes out to Nurk, but I want to just say we should stop assigning narrative to people's trauma. Nurk's grandmother passed away and he played very well in that game. Nurk's grandmother didn't pass away. And so he played well or he, or she didn't pass. And then he played well because of that. That's like a weird media narrative thing that I think is really gross. And that is not how a human dealing with trauma works. In fact, I would say that the only time Nurk got to not sit with that trauma was like during the game itself. So maybe it was actually more of a place of peace than sort of this performance about his personal trauma. So yeah, um, just avoid that if you're someone who wants to assign narrative to a terrible thing that happened to another person. I just wanted to get that off my chest. Let's keep it moving. More questions. Next one comes from Jeffrey from Gmail who says, consider this end of season play an option. All teams are, that are within four of the eight seed will join a March Madness style tournament for the final spots. If spots five through seven are somehow within four games of the eight seed, then they will be part of the tournament as well. But the nine seed would have to be within four games of the eight seed to trigger the play-in tournament. This year would have been a small, LOL, tournament between the Blazers, Grizzlies, Suns, Spurs, Kings, and Pelicans. In this case, the Blazers could host and get a bye along with the Grizzlies. The Grizzlies would host the winner of the Pels and Suns. The Blazers would host the winner of the Kings. And then Jeffrey goes on, and there's more paragraph here than I'm going to read you. But basically, Jeffrey's proposing for a this tournament uh, that we saw um, in Orlando to be duplicated for the regular season and i say hell yeah this was dope it was it was good um the the end of the year the and the end of the bubble schedule had the same problems at the end of the actual nba season has where a bunch of teams basically either want to lose to get a specific playoff matchup or don't care about winning because they already have it locked like a seed locked up and so the games like truly truly don't matter and you get like a week of duds heading into the playoffs and the duds are one of the worst parts of the nba season and the play in format or the uh, really helped and if you expanded it so it was a true tournament it would be super fun so yeah i'm all for it 100 percent. they should they should introduce it um and if you don't want to be involved win more games 
Esoteric Eric at Esoteric underscore Eric asks, have you heard Dame's new track Live from the Bubble featuring Gary Trent Jr. and Nazir Little? If so, thoughts? Okay, I think I've said this before that Damien Lord kind of raps like like your friend who always who was always the best rapper of your friends. Like that's how, what Damien Lord sounds like. He's like, oh yeah, you know, Henry is really talented. He could actually do this for a living if he wanted to. Like that's how good of a rapper Dame is. He doesn't sound like someone who is a professional rapper, but he sounds like your buddy who's like, yo, he's really talented. If he ever quits his accounting job, maybe he could do music on the side for real. And Gary Trent Jr. raps like me when I hear my friend Henry rapping and I'm like, I can do this. I know how to rhyme words. In fact, I'm pretty good at writing. I'll write down some rhymes. And Nazir Little raps like a slightly better version of me when I'm jumping in the cypher. Neither of them are good is what I'm saying. They're bad. Dame's good. More Dame rapping with real rappers, less of him rapping with his teammates. But I'll tell you what, it is fun. That's fun. It's it's like, a you know, you putting a... Uh, being in a hotel room and putting together a rap track um, reminds me of being a freshman in college and doing something similar with my pals. And guess what? Y'all are never going to hear those tracks. They don't exist anymore. Shout out to my dude, Michael Early. Adam, A-D-A-M, at Real Mike Stand on Twitter asks, Is Quinn Snyder the hottest coach in the league? My dude looks good in skinny jeans and a polo. I feel weird about sexualizing NBA coaches, but for my money, Lloyd Pierce of the Atlanta Hawks is the best looking coach in the league. Next question comes from HR, that's ArcherFX on Twitter, who asks, what other first-round series are you most excited about besides Blazers and Lakers, obviously? Um, Mavs Clippers going on right now on mute in the background while I record this episode. Um, I'm also kind of into Sixers uh, Celtics, although the Sixers just make me so sad. Um, so I, I'm going to watch those games, but I'm not as hyped about them. And I've been trying to talk myself into being interested into Pacers Heat. I think that's a fun matchup. But if Victor Oladipo isn't, if Victor Oladipo was healthy, I'd be super into that series. If DeMontis Sabonis was in the bubble, I'd be excited, more excited about that series. But I like, I like watching the Heat. Um, I, for the most part, enjoy, have enjoyed watching the Pacers and the TJ Warren show. So I'm kind of excited about that. The rest of the series in the West are like Houston OKC is really intriguing to me, but I don't excited is probably the wrong word and jazz nuggets. I'll watch the hell out of, but again, not excited about that one. Uncle Eero at Shane has art on Twitter asks, what's up with the Nas dehydration stuff? I don't feel like anyone is buying it. Does the coaching staff just not want to play him? That's not how it works. He was, he wasn't on the injury report at the beginning of the bubble and he didn't play they didn't need an excuse not to play him um the stuff is weird uh what i would assume it happened with nazir little and, and there's this is the problem with uh the way media works now you can't just go up and talk to him there's no local media there and whether nazir little is he, you know he wouldn't play if he was if he was healthy it would be nice to have him available but he, he wouldn't play regardless and it's just like such a small thing and it's all zoom uh, interviews so it's hard you know you you just no one's going to waste their one question that they get for the entire day on Nazir Little. Um, and waste maybe is a mean word, but that's just how it's going to work. No one from Lakers media cares about that. And Blazers media people are also trying to write a story and it's not going to include Nas. But my guess is that he got sick. Like the dehydration stuff to me, I would assume this is like um, not to get like too graphic, but probably like a sort of like diarrhea and vomiting type thing where you lose all of your liquids and then just like your body takes a long time to get back. That would be my guess is what happened with him. That's like total speculation. Um, it is weird that we haven't got an explanation though, but no, it, the, the coaching staff didn't play effectively didn't play him before they made up an injury. So yeah, that, I don't buy that run a little long. So 
We got two more. We're going to get through them quickly. Ben Sprouse asks, at Ben underscore Sprouse on Twitter, Mike, does the emergence of Gary Trent Jr. make Anthony Simons trade more likely this offseason? Yeah, in general, yes, I think, because you you have a young guard. But Anthony Simons, his, like, is his... Is he really a highly tradable asset right now? I don't think so. Like, what other team is gonna is gonna want to do that? And also, I don't think the Blazers are gonna give up on him. I think, in theory, I think your theory is correct, but I think in like the way it will play out, it it, it remains unlikely. And the final question of the show, Wallace from Gmail says, it's hard to imagine Hassan Whiteside signing on to be Nurk's backup for next season. Zach Collins may progress a bit, but I don't see him being capable of playing the five position the way the team needs him to be. I disagree with that one. The Blazers need another hardworking, experienced Ed Davis type big man. Would it be worth pursuing Aaron Baines in the offseason? He's a big body who'd set great screens for Damon CJ. He's a capable outside shooter, and perhaps most importantly, he tries really hard in the defensive end. He's also been regarded as a great teammate everywhere he's been and seems to be a good fit in the locker Room. I like Aaron Baines. I think he would really help. Um, I worry, not worry, but I guess I have a mild concern that adding a dude like Aaron Baines, who's like a straight up five, means that Zach Collins has to play absolutely every single one of his minutes at power forward in on, on a fully healthy roster. And that to me doesn't maximize what Zach Collins is good at. So yeah, I'm in favor of Aaron Baines, but also I believe Zach Collins is a center. And I guess that's that's where this one ends. Thanks so much for contributing to Mailbag Monday. If you contributed by asking a question, I appreciate you. If you contributed by listening, I appreciate you. If you want to get involved, tweet at Mike T. Rich, email lockedonblazerspod at gmail.com. Tell your friends about this podcast. They can get it wherever they already get podcasts. Just search Lockdown Blazers will be there waiting for you. Appreciate you listening. Talk to you soon. <laughs>